Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode already of Be Right Back by Beam Podcast. I am Giona. And I am Ava. And today we are talking with our guests, Shariza Granger and Jose Garrido on our fourth episode, Surviving or Thriving. So in this episode, we focus on when we have eventually found our way in Dutch spaces, in Dutch society. As Caribbean migrants living in the Netherlands and especially the effort of our work, economic, financial reasoning and the effect that our relation to home has on our mental health. So how does our relationship change when we have a bit more financial freedom than before? Does it change? What are the responsibilities we feel community-wise to take care of ourselves and back home, so to speak, or, or our communities there? And what is the effect of having lived abroad for so long that the new place has elements of home now? How connected do we feel to back home? Um, well, for me, this took me some time to reflect because I feel that we constantly navigate between the surviving and the thriving. Um, when I first moved to the Netherlands and started studying at the Dance Academy, I definitely felt that it was a matter of surviving before you can even think about thriving. You don't even know what thriving kind of means at that point. Um, but eventually you do find your way. And when you do, I'd say there's like a certain category within like the, the psychological priorities um, that you start to analyze and start to think like, okay, some things have got to change. Um, for example, where do you spend your money on? Um, how are you going to split or divide the time that you have with everything life throws at you when you just arrive there as a Caribbean immigrant and as a student, of course. And I'd say, if I, if I may, Um, if you're from the Caribbean, I think one of the things that you mostly ask yourself is like, how do you split yourself between homes? Um, and then putting yourself like in between the Netherlands and where you come from. If we put emphasis then on like the, the post-student life, for example, um, I'm now four years into that. So I say this is the phase that I'm currently navigating in and how I currently experience it is that I'd say that I work for myself to maintain myself, but to like also not just survive, but to also just live my life, um, which sometimes is not really all in its full potential possible, but we do the best that we can. Um, but it's also to just being able to send funds back home. And that's what home did for me when I was studying. So the responsibility that I feel that I have to send funding back home is pretty huge because I now have jobs, I'm earning money. So in the back of my head, I know that what I earn in euros is twice as much back home. So even back home, it's also sometimes a survive and thrive situation. And because of this, I don't always feel like I have financial freedom and that sometimes I, the way that I live my life might not be according to what home thinks is socially acceptable or earns enough. And then we really talk about, you know, making the arts your source of income. But that's a, another conversation, of course, for another day. Um, So when I'm in Aruba, and that's where I'm currently at right now, I want to take care of those around me. And oftentimes I forget to take care of myself because I feel that when I'm here, somehow everything gets done more or, you know, in the, in the majority of it, that everything can get done when I'm here. Um, and that's a huge responsibility that I know that I put on myself because home is constantly rebuilding. And when I leave, I want to make sure that everything is okay. And that gives me like that calm sense in my mental health and in my soul, because 
there is distance between the two dimensions that you constantly live between. And because you live abroad, that dynamic changes a lot. So you're not just coming home to your family. You're also just visiting home. And that notion is something that also plays very much a role that when you leave and go back to the nest that you created in the Netherlands, you live in your own space and in your own time and within your own rules. But I also have the tendency to take care of people over there as well, you know, trying to give chances and give opportunities and open doors so that we can change that infrastructure together and make it better for ourselves. Um, that's something that fuels me a lot in that sense. So that's my experience with it so far. What about you, Guiana? Thank you, Ava, for sharing that. Um, well, before I go to what I want to say, and I'm going to say is that what really struck with me from what you said is the part of the infrastructure. And uh, it's I, I have a kind of a different road in the work that I do here in the Netherlands than you did. Obviously, we're all individuals and walking our own path. But I think I went more into like the uh, cultural scene at large that is here present in the Netherlands uh, the past five years already. Time really flies. And um, yesterday I was at an event by Metro 54. Uh, shout out to Amal. And Malik Mahmoud was talking and Amal and some other good people. And we were talking about, you know, like looking at our privileges and seeing our privileges here in the Netherlands as diasporic people. So not just me as a Korean person, but just diasporic people in general. And what we are doing with that privilege to build or maybe in the context of the Netherlands, uh, unravel uh, current infrastructures or to redistribute resources in that infrastructures to the communities that we talk about oftentimes. And that is something that has really like been kept in my mind because that kind of connects as well to what I wanted to say is that this process of like this episode that we're talking about now is interesting interestingly enough also something that I'm in the middle of so I've been working since uh, five years now already as a as a entrepreneur you could say and building my way up in the cultural sector and it was never a career thing for me it was always like this notion of how do I keep myself afloat with something that I had actually no um so it's a survival thing uh that I had actually no uh example of back home that someone in my family or my surroundings was doing because I always knew I didn't want to work a nine-to-five job And I always knew that uh, being a historian or having studied history, like staying academics wasn't something for me as well because it was too tightly knit and there was almost no room for me to kind of break through the barriers that it it's, it's imposing. So I really was thinking about that like for a long time. And as a kid of immigrant parents, this notion of being responsible actually always has played a role throughout my thought patterns. It was like this thought of, I need to go to university because I was smart. I was, I talked about that in the first episode uh, a lot to earn good money, to have so-called a better life and to give back. That was kind of this dominant thought pattern uh, subconsciously at first that I had in the back of my mind. Um, it's this loop I recognize that takes me away often from what I want to do, even though I still now do what I want to do, 
or it actually keeps me in this feeling of guilt. It's close to what one would call, and I talk about this a lot with my other friends from different diasporas in the Netherlands, one would call survivor's guilt within a psychological context. And obviously, my parents are still alive, but I do have a better life economically in that sense uh, than they ever had. And that often subconsciously leaves me with this feeling of what they would call uh, within survival survivor's guilt context. And even enjoying the successes that I've had up until now have been erased against these feelings of guilt. Uh, the toxic part, because it's toxic, is also when I feel that I can't celebrate or I'm not allowed to if it's just for me. So this uh, notion of community is something that's within me as a person. That's just how I am. But adding to this notion that I was just talking about really kind of enhances that feeling like, okay, this win, I do celebrate it nowadays, but more within myself because I don't feel comfortable doing that out in the open. Uh, personally, I am someone, as I said, who is community focused in general. Um, but this toxic notion within me has gotten me to put myself aside for the so-called others in my community way too much, which is also a problematic thought because I don't need to save them. I have, I think we all have these, oftentimes when we do community work, these savioristic notions that, oh yeah, they need me or they need us, but they actually need to be distributed funds or resources or space or, you know, they don't per se need me because that puts a lot of pressure on individuals. Um, so I don't need to save them. I need to create equity like we, we all do. And that is how we sustain community and take pressures off of individuals who kind of hold a weird individual power then as well, because I don't want to be the only one or one of the few, let me put it like that, that they... Uh, can knock on the door of. It should be more people. Um, so it's about the centering power dynamics and obviously checking our egos. It's about redistribution of the funds and general resources back home. So that's how I make space in my day-to-day -day life here in Europe if I think about the financial and the economic. And it's also very much an emotional process, like I just stated before, um, on how I can keep putting out the strategy of redistributing funds that I easily or more easily have access to. Um, and I think also just approaching this from a very practical way also saves me from not drowning in these thoughts of responsibilities uh, for myself. So I think that's a little bit on my experiences with being in this context. It, it's not something that began now but it's something that has always been a part of my thinking, but being in an economically different position, this is my plan to kind of work on that, you could say. Thanks, Kiana. No, I totally understand um, where you completely come from. There were some things that I can definitely relate to, um, especially when you talk about those wins, you know, those personal wins that you feel like, okay, yeah, I did this and I'm allowed to celebrate it, but there's still that sense of notion that you're like, oh, but I not this isn't just my win so you're kind of you feel that that sense of like I need to share this win with others so that it could also just feel like we want together while it is something that you individually you work so hard for um and should be yours to celebrate from the beginning on but I think as well that all of all of the things that we now work for I do feel that 
we also not only do it for the generations to come, but also the generations that are there before us, um, that there are other ways to get on in life and there are other ways to find resources to still uh, live a life and not only think about surviving, um, but then also in micro levels that there are ways of thriving as well, while still having to put together all the other factors that you still haven't quite survived or thrived in as of yet. Um, and it is a huge responsibility in that sense. But I do feel that community-wise, if I look at the two of us, for example, and our guests who will be going in conversation with, these kind of like conversation already make us so aware of that, that simple fact that it is really a question of surviving or thriving or anywhere in between there. Um, and I do feel that because we make the choice to live that in-between life, uh, student and post-student, because now we live and work there in the Netherlands, um, there are some things that come with that way of living, that way of uh, living our lives that we come and go and we still work for us, but we work for others or we don't. And it's constantly an up and down. You're very much trying to balance that. And it does take a toll on our mental health, obviously, because there are certain realities that we keep facing every time we come home and go back to the Netherlands within ourselves, within our families and those around us. So many factors that play a role within that, um, that do make you question, is this really surviving or is this really thriving in that sense? So that's that's the, the things that I mostly could relate to what you just said in your experience. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for adding on to that. And I could go on for a long time about this um, because I also think it's um, it has to do with the context of me already feeling from a young age that I am a child of immigrant parents, like a third culture kid, they call that. That does something to the mind of me, but people like me. So it's all about relationality. It's like I've always been relating to a certain other entity, other community. Um, some of the communities I didn't even grow up with, like the Surinamese ones in that sense. So that is that is also different, and that is also not a monolith experience. Um, but to go on, like we also want to mention that the conversations that we are having today come from a critical point of view, and that we are also very aware that we are in that sense executing these conversation within some institutional contexts because of the partners that we work with. Um, and also conditioning, I would say. Um, we just wanted to clarify that. And that this, and we also want to clarify that this conversation is not definite. It's an open conversation where we share our thoughts and experiences. We find similarities, but we also find differences. And I think it's important to address these. After living for some time in the Netherlands, figuring out our way around the Dutch community and within Dutch spaces, the living consequences are now stories that we tell not only to the audience listening to this podcast, but also to generations that have come and gone and continue to come and go. Accepting the fact that we live a life of the in-between, we cannot forget the factors that come along with this way of living. The discovery of the many identities that we live and practice, the extra emphasis that we often need to put on our mental health, the relationship we form with how we manage our finances, the manner in which we not only take care of ourselves, but also take care of our family members who still live in the nest that we left behind. Home for us today has a very complex meaning, but nevertheless, we make and bring home with us and continue to form the many layers within that. 
and so who we are today and how we continue to develop ourselves as Caribbean beings living in the Netherlands. And together with our guests, Charissa Granger and Jose Garrido, we would like to dive into what this means to them. But before we dive into that, of course, we want to ask our guests to kindly introduce ourselves. And I'm looking at Charissa, would you like to go first? Hi, everyone. Um, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Sharissa Granger. I'm a musicologist, um, yeah, based in the Netherlands for the moment, um, but for the most part on my way out. Um, yeah, I studied music. I'm a steel pan player. Um, what else? I grew up in Aruba. Um, and I'm currently a lecturer at the University of the West Indies in the Cultural Studies Department. And I'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much, Arisa. Jose, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience today? Hello. Uh, first of all, thank you for the invitation. Uh, my name is Jose. Um, I'm from Panama and uh, dance students uh, on the University Colors in Rotterdam, Netherlands. And yeah, I also uh, am part of some community in my country of uh, young uh, leadership students that want to bring a better education uh, in the country. Thank you so much, Jose and Charissa. Um, so when we talk about the surviving and the thriving, we also talk about the daily rituals and what keep us, keep us going. Um, we talk about natural and the mental health and the constant friction between the life that you have created and the, left, the life you have left behind. And the critical thinking that you also develop when you look at your home from abroad, where you're currently living now, where you are based. Um, and we also think a little bit about the rights that you lose when you are a citizen abroad as well. So there are different pros in living abroad if we think about it, if we think about the knowledge that we gain, the experiences that we receive, and the practices that we make, we make of it every day. Which brings me to the first question. How has the relationship with the home that you have left behind changed? You can look at this maybe in a more economical factor. How has the Netherlands changed the way that you view the way that you, for example, spend your money or maybe where you invested in? For example, as we mentioned before, maybe you send back a certain capital back home for survival. Um, I want to start with Sharisa. Is there anything that you would like to uh, provide with to this question? Um, yeah. So listening, listening to both of you's experience and kind of the direction that it takes in terms of finances. I think one of the things that I'm thinking about a lot these days and that I'm trying to maybe be better at is kind climate change catastrophe and all the initiatives that need to happen, that are happening um, around climate change. And I, I guess these are, these are the avenues that I, um, that I'm interested in, if we're talking about responsibility, if we're talking about, you know, finances, um, 
then that's that's kind of the the avenue that I'm I'm thinking about. Um, recently, this this was strongly prompted by the volcano um, eruption um, in Saint Vincent. Um, so yeah, so I'm just I'm just interested in terms of the responsibility um, that I feel not necessarily for back home or for any you know, family members of back, back home, but for the region at large is what I'm, I'm more concerned with. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And we can, we can elaborate on that, but um, my, my interest in terms of finances, in terms of responsibility is more about the region at large and the yearly catastrophes that we're we're facing um because of because of climate change um and how i may be able to you know to intervene um with within that whether it be financially or you know any other kind of resources that that needs to be made available thank you so much Charissa. um i think it's interesting that you indeed um bring this forward because um, this was not an answer I was expecting, first of all, <laughs> but it was also anyway, a point of view that I also do think indeed is something that we do have to take in account because it is indeed a region that we are talking about and our home forms part of a bigger picture. This is very true. And the catastrophes that have taken place these last couple of months have had an extreme effect on how the rest of our communities are living at this very moment. Um, and then we're not only talking about the volcano eruption that have also happened and COVID and all around that, but we're also talking about all the other factors that play a role in how our islands are being governed at this very moment, which makes it economically difficult for anyone to even survive or thrive, if I may come back to that topic. Um, I'm looking at Guiana. Do you have anything to add? Because I know that you also have a very strong point of view in these subjects. Yeah, Charissa, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I was looking into actually disaster capitalism a few months ago where I've been, because of the volcano eruption indeed in St. Vincent and also the thought of being born and raised in Aruba where in that sense as an island we obviously experience we have experienced hardships and things have been broken down but we are not situated in a region where we get that in that sense on a yearly basis that there is so much catastrophe all of the time to constantly recuperate but that is different for a lot of different islands um disaster or natural disaster wise in in the region and i'm gonna put some of that into the voiceovers later on If we talk about the Caribbean and caring for the region at large, as Charissa mentions it briefly, we have to talk about disaster capitalism, but also about all of the neocolonial logics that still prevail in politics and economies on the islands up until this day, aka following policies that are derived from old or current colonial Western powers. In Aruba, it's for example, the Netherlands, and with Puerto Rico, for example, it's the USA. As we also all know, the Caribbean at large is mostly plagued by different disasters like hurricanes and floods, and these things are often called natural disasters. But poverty levels, debt owed to former colonizer countries, social inequalities and policies induced by these Western powers make the effect of these disasters a little less natural and a little more organized. 
to have a disadvantageous effect for the countries or islands themselves. Now we have mentioned this, we can look a little bit into disaster capitalism that is actually a global economic mechanism, also in the Caribbean. It's like when these hurricanes or pandemics like COVID-19 break out or for that matter, any other shocking occurrence in a country like a war, governments choose quickly to allow elitist corporate agendas to take reign. For example, building new condos as a form of so-called investment from the outside or international investors to better the economy, but leaving nothing and actually no true progression for the local population that it's suffering themselves. Plainly, it's making use of different forms of crises to get the international corporate agenda going. I really had to think about that, and I think um, that is something that we don't focus on enough as Caribbean communities, because it is also a climate crisis, uh, how do you say that, problem of all of us, that people back home are going through that. And oftentimes I get the feeling that we're so focused on like day-to-day, on the islands, on day-to-day survival in that sense, oftentimes that we don't even have the mental capacity to think about what are these broader structural um, disaster elements that happen on a yearly or monthly or uh, whatever time basis that keep coming back. Um, And how does that also keep us, and that is why I refer to disaster capitalism, why that also keeps us in like that colonial loop, because often these, you know, often these islands are connected to the former colonizers and uh, are very um, dependent on financial funds either way. And then what you see also with COVID, which is also obviously has had financial, um, uh, how do you say, financial uh, effects on the islands, also in Aruba, where I'm from, um, that the policies made around that to recover from such a disaster, natural disasters, or in this t- case, a pandemic, makes the colonial power even bigger uh, on the islands. So that is something, maybe we can touch upon that in a bit, but yes, thank you for opening that can of worms. I like it. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. And especially when we take a look at the current neocolonialism, that is uh, very much, how do you say that? It's uh, definitely on so many islands nowadays. These things play such a big role in how we are economically placed within uh, this capital um, frame. I'm looking at Jose. The same question to you. How has the relationship with the home that you have left behind changed in an economical point of view? Yeah, so uh, now that I have lived in Netherlands for two years, I'm far away of my country, far away of my, my, my home, my family, my friends. Uh, in my personal point of view, I have to say that also I reflect in the, in the a few days ago about the, the, what, the what is the, 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 the matter of the money in, in my life me as a dancer, as an artist, like, and all the time I think in general for, for us is like, the money is, is a witness, you no, know, in our life. It's necessary all the time to, to survive, to to make our goals and obje- objective reality, you no? Know? So I can share that 
during the pandemic a moment that we are still on it. Uh, my family uh, had been uh, really attached for all, all this that, that's happened. No? In my country, let's say that there was a, a moment of, of uh, vulnerability of the citizens. Uh, it was difficult to make the money and yeah, my, my, my grandmother, who, who is, I grew old all my life, uh, just, just want to see me happy, but being here far away without any possibility to help her was, was a cause for me. Like mentally, I, I also kind of explore a new sensation that I never uh, explored before and was difficult. But uh, anyhow, I found my friends, the people that I, that I have close to, to me here, like a support and also such a, a great uh, environment when they could uh, read me, beat me up when I was completely down. And, but besides that, I have to say that being in the Netherlands as a Latin, as a Panamanian, uh, it was a great experience for me. You know, I, I just finished my, my high school and immediately comes this opportunity to, to study here. And I started to explore as a real, uh, what is what the, what really means be adult? Like new responsibilities. I have to pay taxes. I have to find a job. I have to do paperwork and all the things. All the things make me grow as a person, as a as a dancer as well. But uh, in the end of the day, I have to say that that I'm happy because I could find a way to find a balance financially and also in, in my relationships and my, my group is here. So I have to say that I found okay right now, but yes, uh, there was a difficult period. Oh, I mentioned before the, the quarantine that I really don't have any idea what, what to do, no? how, how to, to go out of the box. Thank you, Jose. Um, I think it's very interesting that you also say that you've been living in the Netherlands for two years. So I actually do have like a little sub question for you. Um, within the two years that you have been living in the Netherlands, have you already come and go to uh, Panama or have you just been in the Netherlands consecutively for two years? Yeah, uh, I, I had the opportunity to go to come back to my country. Uh, only in the last two days, I just go there during uh, Christmas holidays because it's the period that, that like economic, financially I can, I can uh, manage to to go there because it's, it's quite expensive, just the travel to go back and also to come back. So, but I also have to say that I had been part of a community uh, of a program with uh, by donations uh, in my country. They found like uh, financially support to bring me here and, and make me like stay here, like paying my alimentation, let's say, and also uh, with the school, I have a scholarship, a scholarship, so I don't have to pay anything of the school. I think that's brilliant that even though you know that, you know, I think if I speak for myself, I don't come from a socially high ladder from the community, but that there was still a chance that you could still go abroad and still make something out of your life. Um, and you also chose the arts. So I find it even more interesting that you did get that support 
And you even got a scholarship to go and live your life and live your, I'm going to put it between brackets, your best life. Because you also see it, I think, if I hear you talk, is that you do see the differences between your life when you lived in Panama and the difference in your life that when you're living now two years in Netherlands, how that, how much change that can take within you and how you start to see that in that sense, you are also privileged because there is the, not all people who come from Panama in this case, or indeed the Caribbean region, not all of them have that same opportunity to receive these kind of uh, financial supports to go and become a dancer, what you're doing now. Um, when And I think, you know, I think that comes for all of us. And I think that comes for Sharissa as well, coming and going for us, and especially for Guiana, because I'm on Aruba, Guiana's coming here later. Um, that every time you do go home and you do come back, whether you like it or not, there is change that's going to take place within you. Another layer that you just keep discovering and realizing that there's this is going to be a certain reality that eventually you will have to deal with. Sharissa, you want to go? Sure. Um, I think one of the things um, that COVID, you know, kind of presented as well with not being able to go as easily um, beyond the financial is that aspect of care, right? Um, you know, are my parents eating properly? Are, you know, are they eating the things that are building their immune systems, right? How are they getting groceries, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, um, for me, it's, it's, it's really that aspect of care and things that I know, know that I could pick up on if I were there, but I'm not there. And not being able to do that is also one of the difficulties um, that um, in the past two years has presented itself. So I don't know, maybe we can, we can also touch on you know, the aspect of care and, and, and not being able to give care in ways that we would like to that are actually beyond um, the financial. Yeah, I think that's a good added um, added element of conversation. Um, the reason why I didn't specifically touch upon that um, within the context of this episode is because we can talk so much about this uh, outside of COVID circumstances as well. And I think the element of care, and I was actually reading this book called The Delusions of Care, which was a, it's just a very interesting book in how often care is performative in a lot of institutional settings or institutions that want to care uh, for others. But obviously we all know what it means to think about our parents and think about um, our the people back home and that relationality of constantly thinking about, okay, are they okay? Are they safe? And now with COVID getting more into that. So the second question that we have is what amount of responsibility or care, you could see like that as well, do we feel in maintaining our family and community members back home or here? And what effect does that have on our mental health? So this could pertain to the financial part, but also to a general sense of care and connection. Sharissa, maybe you want to wanna answer the question first? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a great sense of, of responsibility, um, that I feel, um, I'm not sure how I'm, how I'm working within that responsibility. 
And for me, I think it manifests in in different ways, um, especially in some of the moves that I've made in, in the last year um, in regards to making a decision to actually leave Europe and to go back to the Caribbean um, and to, to be closer to home because of that responsibility, because I want to engage with you know, Caribbean students, because I want to, to teach. And, and, and again, that responsibility um, manifests its, itself in my teaching mostly and, and in the responsibility that I feel for each and every student that, you know, comes through any course that I'm, I'm designing, that I'm lecturing in, or any student that I'm um, um, supervising or working with to, to you know, within their graduate programs or their graduate write, writing, um, which is usually on the Caribbean and the Caribbean um, diasporic cultural practices. So I, I see those responsibilities, um, that's how they manifest themselves in teaching and making available, um, you know, informations and how information on how to negotiate, you know, the university system, um, where to apply for funding, what moves to make, um, how to get your, how to get your, you know, your projects funded, you know, reading students' project proposals, um, helping people, you know, get money to do the things that they want to do, right? So. That's how I see that responsibility taking place. Um, and it, it's more so in work than in, 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 in a personal, but for me, work is personal. So um, those two things kind of converge. If students don't, don't know how to pay tuition, then it's up to me to look for where they can go to find resources so that they can pay their tuition, right? Um, it's up to me to look for initiatives for them where they can apply to encourage them to apply because oftentimes students have a hesitance with in, in applying for funds. And then to also actually kind of read the application form and, and help in, in, in that sense. So that's how that manifests itself for me. Thank you. I think those are very concrete, practical examples that uh, in some way or another, many people uh, recognize themselves in because it already starts oftentimes with not feeling comfortable with the language on forms or not knowing how to, you know, like um, understanding Dutch maybe, but not understanding what kind, what it says on the form because of a different form of Dutch language on that. So yes, all of those levels have a, have a different um, effect on students or on people from Caribbean uh, diasporic uh, backgrounds. Um, Jose, do you want to answer the question for us? Yeah, uh, more than a responsibility with my, I say, my family, I want to really, it's, it, and that is something that I have, have been uh, working for time ago, and um, it's come from the first moment that I have the opportunity to come to the Netherlands and study uh, as a dancer here. Uh, make me think about others, uh, young and child uh, people from my country that don't have the same opportunity as I, I, as I have. No, I was lucky to be in part of this program that uh, now is support me and make, help me to make my, my dreams come true. And I have the responsibility and I want to have that responsibility to give back something to my country uh, to those older children that 
they are really talented, but they don't have the, the same opportunity that, that I have, no? So I want to implement with the government or with a program, the same program that I, I come from, like uh, make relation to bring new space with change. So new young can, can come to Europe and study not just done, but what they also want, but they financially are, are not uh, prepared. They are, they are not support financially to, to live, no? So actually I'm working right now with uh, uh, here in Netherlands with the Embassy of Panama and so and other embassies to found the, the, the current project and event to, to make um, a recollection of donation on new friends for these programs. So new children and new young will also have the same opportunities to, to make through their dreams. And it's something that now is, is, is making more real and, and I, I, I can feel it. And, and I want to do that. I want to do that because I know in my country, my country also other thing that needs is develop more in the cultural way. There is a deep culture in my country, but so I want to, to push that. Uh, in a way that my country can grow, gonna be more opportunity for new young and children, and at the same time, uh, let's say everyone gonna be gonna be happy. So that's what I want, uh, and it's my mission as a as a person, as a, as a young dancer. Um, I I find it extremely beautiful to hear that all the four of us are trying to create a better infrastructure for our nest back home. Um, if I really look at it from a larger point of view, making things a bit more accessible, making things more possible, and making things especially um, not easier, but let's just say in a way that we don't have to go through so much to make things happen. Um, in Papiamento, we say, which in literal words mean that you're trying to move the sky and move the ground. Um, because sometimes it feels like those opportunities or those chances aren't even really open for those kind of changes. And I feel that that has to be changed ASAP if we even want to see any kind of changes happen by the time that we decide to go back home and, you know, hoping that we can bring some change or innovation within where we come from. I feel that that really starts from the roots of where things start. And that really starts with the community that we grow in and, you know, the way that they think and the way they see things. And I think it's awesome that I hear the four of us really talking about those changes that we're already working on and that are slowly starting to take place. And hopefully in a couple of years, we'll see our own nest uh, thrive and that we will, we will be able to see that, you know, with our own eyes in that sense and not thinking that we're constantly trying to see and find ways to um, and I don't want to say keep afloat, but that's how it can feel at times. Um, so yeah, that's my reaction for now. Welcome to the second segment called Treasures We Keep, where we talk with our guests on the things they bring to the table related to home, be it a picture, sound, song, poem, aka treasure? Um, yeah, this is a this is a interesting question. Um and I can I can kind of go on and on about it because the treasure that I keep is music, um Caribbean music, 
uh, in particular. Um, and just to narrow that down, I'll say steel pan. Um, I grew up on an island playing steel pan. I learned to play steel pan there. Um, it's the quintessential Caribbean instrument. It was born in Trinidad and Tobago, born in the Caribbean. Um, yeah, the what one of the only instruments you know developed um, in the twentieth century. Um, and I just I just like the sound of it. I like it. I like everything that it can do. It's percussive. It's melodic. Um, it rings. It vibrates. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else. I don't know what else to say about it. But um, it's not only the treasure that I keep, but it's actually a treasure that keeps me right. And it's also the thing that. Um, keeps me connected to the Caribbean and also brings me back, right? Like I, I have to come back to play because um, most often I don't play here, I play there. Um, so that is the thing that, that keeps me tethered, firmly tethered to the Caribbean and is one of the reasons why I wanted to move back home. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and it, 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 it also, it's also actually interesting. It's the thing that brought me to here, right? Cause I left home to study pan. Um, I left home to study steel pan. Um, and it's interesting that you have to leave in order to be able to study, um, an instrument that was born in the Caribbean. It, it literally, it literally brought me to where I am here and I'm sure it will, um, move me to 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 other places and other other experiences because it is the guiding kind of the guiding force in my life since I was about eleven years old. Sharessa, can you tell us a bit about the the piece of audio that you are sharing? What are we listening to? Yeah, okay, so I'm sharing a panorama piece. Um, yeah, a panorama piece from, let's see what year, 20, 2018, I believe, which was the year for love. Um, and this piece is by Renegades with the arranger Duvon Stewart. Um, and what I like from this piece is the energy um, and, and, and the power of what it's trying, of the message that it's trying to bring across, right? This is the year for love. And yeah, um, I, I chose this piece also because Panorama for me is, is, a, is, a, is a massive force. You have about 120 people playing as one and you have a massive sound that comes out of that and that impacts your entire system. Um, it impacts you even if you don't want it to. Um, and it moves, it moves you. You can't 
can't just stand when you hear that. You, you have to move. Um, it compels you to move. It invites you to move. It demands that you move. And, and there's a liberatory aspect connected to that movement for me, and I'm sure for, for some others. So yeah, the, the power and the force of 2018 Year for Love Panorama piece is what I bring as an example. Thank you so much, Arisa. I, um, I hope that the audience can also just hear everything you've just said in the snippet that, that they'll be hearing because I'm moved just by listening to you and describe what you are, what you brought today as your treasure. Thank you so much. Jose, what is the treasure that you bring to the table today? I have here, I don't know if you really can see, it's, it's a ring that have my initials named and it was a really important present from my grandmother uh, the day that I just finished high school. And uh, actually, uh, the, the history is quite fun because I remember that in the school they come like this kind of uh, agency that make the rings and stuff. And I just uh, take a paper and you know, just form uh, everything, but I don't have the idea that this, that will be true, no, just to have fun because I know that financially my grandmother wasn't prepared. And the thing is I bring back to home in a book. And normally she all the time like check my, my bag of school, like if I have something because more of the time I left uh, food on the, on, the, on the bed and she just put out, no? And then the last day of the, the graduation day, uh, she comes to me, she comes to me and she just gave me the little package when was the, the ring inside. And I could not believe because in the, in the, in the first time, my first question was like, like, what is this? Why you bring me this? And she said, like, take, it's yours. And she gave me this word in Spanish that is, eh, sigue luchando por lo que quieres, what means like, eh, continue fighting for, for, for what do you want. Eh, keep off, and this is my best treasure and being here I'm alone let's say all the time that I have a great opportunity or I got a prize I all the time use and it's like feel that she's with me in, in, in this moment no so it's really important for me because uh, she she gave me the best education she could and thanks to her now I'm here uh, making my my dreams and I'm still fighting finish that dreams and also fighting for those uh, children and my mission that I have as a person. So yeah, it's really, really special. And yeah, I want to also say thank you, Mamita. Oh, I call her for, for being here for me all the time. Um, do you feel like that there's also like a very strong spiritual connection between you and your grandmother, even if there is such a huge distance between the two of you? 
it's it's strange because all the time I dream with her. Like I have my dreams all the time. She's there. I don't I don't know. She's all the time around me. Like even if there is a distance, I could feel very close to me. I could listen to her words, tell me like some advice in those moments that I, I I don't know what to do. So yeah, and we have a good communication even even though like by WhatsApp, thanks to social media, <laughs> we are connected. And yes, I I feel a really strong spiritual connection and yeah, a relationship. Thank you both so much for bringing your treasures today. Um, I must say that both your treasures also, there is a very strong sense of, um, how do you call that? Not, I, want, I don't want to say attachment because attachment is not really the word, but there is a sense of strong, better said connection between you and that specific treasure, either that in, it indeed invites you to dance, or in this case, it invites you to go for your goals that there is always something that keeps on driving you and that still keeps that bit of yours alive. And then when I talk about Caribbean identity, is that bit of yours that will stay alive no matter what you hear or no matter what you bring, no matter what you say or sing or feel, it will always bring you back there and it will always stay with you no matter what. Um, and I really want to thank the both of you again for bringing forward your treasure because really um, from a ring to a steel pan uh, mel melody snippet that we will hear, of course. Um, thank you both, really. Um, I'm looking at Guiana. Is there anything you would like to add to these treasures that have been presented? No, it's uh, in that sense, it just reminds me of all of the episodes we've had before, the conversations that we've had before. And it just um, really is nice to hear the connections indeed that people have to a lot of different types of ideas, stories, artifacts, things in families like rings or pictures um, that kind of weave this web of stories that in a way we all recognize, maybe even if it's not in the same context. And I like that. I like that we can share that, that we, we kind of know and feel what the other person is talking about, even if it's not our our type of uh music that we hold that dearly or it's not our ring but it's something that we recognize in things that we have it also makes me realize like the jewelry that my grandma gave me now and um you know like types of music things that that kind of make up my family because they are very diverse in the different types of songs that I grew up with and why they are so important for me now if I hear it, you know. So I just wanted to say thank you indeed for both of you, all of us, for sharing these uh, these beautiful things as well today. I keep saying this every episode. It feels like we're just beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm also looking at my two guests. Is there anything that any of you would like to add before we close off this recording for this fourth episode of the By Being podcast? Jose or Sharisa, please feel free to add anything that you feel like you want to share with us. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you and thank you for creating such a platform. I think it's really important. Um, yeah, because it just creates that kind of strong relational connection that's necessary um, amongst the younger but also older and in between generations that um, are in this process of going and coming because um, from my own you know family 
families who are living up here, there is still that constant going and coming in. It literally never ends. Um, there will there will always be that coming and going, and the dynamics of it are are interesting to tease out and 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 have conversations about. So thank you very much. Yeah, I also want to say thank you one more time for for making me being part of this a great project. And yeah, also like uh, have this opportunity to listen uh, all of you and give your opinion. Also make me. Uh, learn of your experience as well and uh, it's really uh, it's really good for me like have this kind of opportunity so I'm, I'm really grateful one more time thank you for the opportunity this was the fourth episode of the by being podcast a huge thank you to my mom my co-host Guiana, Gani, Arivi, Ikhmara, Alexine, Gianni and of course, everybody else who gives us a great amount of support. Thank you all so much. Uh, another round of thank yous. I want to thank my mom, my dad. I want to thank everyone who has been supporting me in any way. So I forget your name. It's nothing personal. I want to thank Shari, Ila. Of course, I want to thank Ava. I want to thank Stephanie. I want to thank Rivi. We also want to thank Quincy. Thank you for the beautiful, awesome conversations we've been having. I want to thank Krista. I want to thank Amal for always pushing forward and also inspiring me. And of course, I want to thank Malik for always having my back and inspiring me as well. Belula, love you. Thank you for always also having my back. I want to thank Afrospectus for inspiring me and pushing the needle forward. That also means you, Michael. I want to thank Saada for always keeping me sharp with her pen and her wit. And I want to thank everyone and anything that has been around me the past few weeks and months pushing me forward, inspiring me in many, many, many ways. Thank you very much. Also a big thank you to our team, Caribbean Ties, Museum and Mondrian Fund. <laughs>